So I do hope that you've had fun with this just like we have. It's been fascinating to be in the Old Testament and discover some of these weird stories of the Old Testament, right? We've been with Noah and his boys, right? We've been with uh, J.L. and Sisera and kind of the technique she had for sharing her wisdom of, uh, last week. And today we step in, as Pastor Gracie said, into the New Testament uh, where we're going to talk about um, demons and pigs. And so happy Father's Day, men, demons <laughs> And pigs. Somehow it feels appropriate, I don't know, for Father's Day that we would talk about demons and pigs. I don't know. But we are in this weird series for two primary reasons. One is we are a church that values biblical relevance. And a part of what that means is we cherish all of God's Word and even those passages that are weird, that don't seem to make sense, that confuse us, that cause consternation sometimes. Biblical relevance says we will address all Scripture and we will try to identify ways for that to be helpful. And then the second reason, of course, is we believe that all Scripture, no matter how weird, has redemptive qualities and has ways to help us reunite with God and claim that relationship through Christ. And so that's clearly what we will be doing today as well. So I'm grateful that you've been a part of this and, and hope that you've both been learning something about Scripture, but also sort of being in, invigorated by these strange and unique passages, right? So today we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark in the fifth chapter in a story that some of us may have heard before, but others of us not so much. And I want to fess up to you. I, uh, as of this week, have done something that I have not done in almost 30 years of preaching. So I need you to take note of this because it's distinctive. This will now be the third week in a row in which I am preaching on a Scripture text from which I have never preached before. Three weeks in a row, right? When I was a young pup, that used to happen all the time. I never preached this before. But after 30 years, this is the first time in some long time that it's been three weeks in a row that I'm preaching from a text uh, from which I've never preached before. I've taught on them, uh, but not preached on these. And so I, I lift that up as a powerful example to help realize that, man, we can all keep learning. We can all keep growing. And we can all continue to discover wonderful things from God's Word, right? So in the Gospel of Mark, we have this passage about what's sometimes referred to as the Gerasene demoniac. That's a highfalutin way to say some guy's got a demon, he's, got, he's possessed, and Jesus is going to exercise this demon. What's fascinating about this story is that it is in all three of what are known as the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a synoptic way to get through. They're, they're very orderly, systematic, and fashion. John has just his own way of telling the story, and he does it in a very unique and distinctive way. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a common way that they tell the story. And so when we have a, a story that is in all three of these Gospels, we need to take note. Probably means it's important, and important enough to be in all three of these. So uh, take note of that. Uh, the second is also true, which is that Jesus, uh, as always, is using both common nature language and common metaphors and understandings and circumstances that the normal person would know about. It's a part of the brilliance of Jesus' teaching that he would help convey uh, and utilize uh, examples and circumstances that the common everyday person would know. And so that's what we're going to find out is how were these common and what does this all mean? And then finally, the lesson that we don't necessarily want to know but that we need to know from today's passage from Mark chapter 5 is that we are all broken and we need the healing presence of Jesus. You know, we're often very good at pointing at other people's brokenness 
and negating the fact that we have brokenness in our own lives. For each of us, our brokenness is different. For some of us, it's crippling. It's life-shattering, our brokenness. For others of us, it's just kind of a, a bent or a break, and it, it, it doesn't necessarily cause harm, but it certainly causes us to pay attention. It's why we here at Treach have recrafted our vision about who we are and what our end goal is for leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our vision now is that we envision a community where people matter, brokenness is healed, and love is lived. And today we're going to hang our hat on that middle ground, brokenness is healed, because this is where Jesus is an expert. Jesus can heal our broken hearts. Jesus can heal our broken lives, and Jesus can heal our broken ways. And a part of this story's message for us today from Mark chapter 5 is that Jesus has that authority and has that capacity, and that's all good news, right? So this is the gift that is brought to us this day to celebrate even in a weird story like Mark chapter 5. So let's get going and let's look at what happens here. This is, again, a story of a man who's demon-possessed. Jesus heals him, and it has impact not just on him, but everybody who witnesses and, and is sort of party to it. And that's our good news that we celebrate today. Here's how it starts. Mark chapter 5, beginning in the first verse. They came to the other side of the sea. Now, they, as Jesus and the disciples, Jesus has been healing in Capernaum, in Galilee, on the, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they've traversed to the other side. So they came to the other side of the sea to the region of the Gerasenes. So what, part of what we need to do is just look at a map real quick. So I'm going to invite them to pull a map up. And this is, Jesus has been up in the top left in the region called Galilee, in the community called Capernaum, and he's now sort of crossed the Sea of Galilee, and he's in now what is referred to as the Decapolis in terms of a region, and he's near the town of Gergesa. That's where this is taking place. And so just so that you get a visual of all that, he's been on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, he's just calmed the storm of the Sea of Galilee, both in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel. That's what's taking shape just before he crosses the sea. Verse 2, and when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. So Jesus is often doing healing right outside of the boat. We, we have this in several occurrences where Jesus is teaching. But now he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and it means that he's in the unclean space. He's where the um, Gentiles live. He's left the Hebrew people and the followers of Jesus, and now he's headed over to the unclean spot. And notice who he encounters. He encounters a man with an unclean spirit. And an unclean spirit is a biblical way to say this guy's full of evil. He's got a demon possession. He is not well. He is not right. He has an unclean spirit. That's a biblical language for that. But also notice where he's coming from. Not only is in the community of Gergesus, supposedly, but he's also coming out of the tombs. He's been living in the tombs. And a part of what Jesus wants us to know is everything about this guy is wrong. He's living in a bad place, if you will, where folks like they live, right? He comes out of the tombs, which is clearly not where normal people reside, right? And he's got an unclean spirit. So part of what Mark wants us to know is this is about folks who are different, and we need to communicate somehow to them and help them to know that they are beloved children of God. And we're pretty good at setting up us and thems, aren't we? It's a part of our normal happenstance. I'm not proud of that, but 
Most of us do it somehow, some way. You know, those people, right? And often when we say those people, we mean somebody who are different from us. They look different, talk different, smell different, act different, have different values, have different faith, whatever. Those people. And the story is helping us to see that we do that quite often. And therefore, in this language, it's going to be out of the unclean tombs in an unclean region with an unclean spirit. And we just need to know that Jesus is going to do something big and powerful in this place among these people. Beginning in verse 3, here's where it gets interesting. He, meaning the man who's demon-possessed, he lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he had wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. Well, that ain't a pretty picture, is it? I mean, that, that, when you hear that, you, you instantly sort of want to retract. I mean, this guy's full of stuff. And he's doing weird things, and he clearly has capacity that is not normal or, uni- or, or uh, you know, sort of typical, right? He's breaking shackles, and he's uh, howling, and he's bruising himself, and he's walking among the tombs, and nobody wants to be around him. And a part of what we see here is a very vivid description of evil, of that which is not normal. And I realize that for many of us, we recognize that evil exists in the world, but often we don't like to talk about it. Often we don't like to face up to it. Often we don't like to recognize that it's real. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, evil is real. I've come uh, uh, to, to believe this over the years in my ministry where I have seen evil incarnate where I've seen people do evil things, heard people say evil things, witnessed evil things being done, I hope we would all agree that evil exists in the world. We may disagree on the nature of it or the way in which it takes shape, but I hope we would all acknowledge that there's evil in the world. And this is a biblical way to describe that evil. It feels bad, it looks bad, it sounds bad, it is bad. It is a real and prevailing thing, right? And a part of what we begin to see is that no one wants to address it. Have you ever noticed that even in general society? When people speak evil about a group of people or about an individual, most of us kind of, we reel and we don't say anything. Or when we witness that somebody is beating someone who clearly doesn't need to be beaten or somebody is oppressing a group of people, we all want to say something or we all believe we should say something or we want to do something about it, but we often just kind of step back and go, I hope somebody does something about that and I hope that gets rectified at some point. And that seems to be what's going on here. The people know that there's evil The people recognize that it's being manifest in and through a particular person, but nobody seems to want to address it or do anything about it except Jesus, who has full authority to do something about it. Verse 6, when he, meaning uh, the man possessed, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said, meaning Jesus, to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus knows something needs to be done. Jesus recognizes that this man uh, needs healing. But notice the man doesn't seem to want healing. There are two fascinating things about what this man is doing right now. One is he knows who Jesus is. <laughs> he recognizes him. He doesn't just sort of point to him. He, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So even this man who's demon-possessed, even this man who is representative of evil, even this man who seems to be one of those kind of people, he knows who Jesus is. Unlike the 12 who follow Jesus and are coached and mentored and guided by him every single day, they don't seem to know who Jesus is. They think they do, and they claim a lot about him, but when Jesus asks them, they don't seem to understand. But this guy seems to know. And he also seems to know what Jesus can do for him. And he adjures Jesus not to. Now, I learned a word this week. Anybody know what adjure means? That's not a common everyday word, right? Basically, implore or to entreat or to ask fervently, please don't do this. Notice what he's asking him not to do. Don't torment me. I wonder what he means by that. Don't torment do you suppose he's thinking Jesus is going to, I don't know, uh, theologically beat him up, right? Bible thump him? I mean, do you think he's going to cause him to do something he doesn't want to do? I mean, what does he mean by torment? I happen to believe what he means by torment is he knows that Jesus can heal him, and he knows that Jesus can extract these demons from him, and he recognizes that, that Jesus has authority over him, and I think he's just not ready. Please don't do this. And in many ways, he's not unlike us, right? I mean, uh, there are certain times in our lives where we know we need Jesus and we know we need healing from Jesus, but we're just not quite ready for it. We just, because we don't know what it looks like and we're not clear what it's going to mean or, or what changes uh, Jesus may ask of us, right? And so notice, he's not asking for healing. He's not asking for Jesus to do anything. In fact, he's quite the opposite, saying, please don't do this. But Jesus is not done with him, just like Jesus is not done with us. And he has much in store for all of us. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus asks his name. Because our name has power, right? Doesn't it feel good when somebody calls you by name? Particularly somebody you know and love or even somebody you want to, you know, be in relationship with you. It's, it's good when they call us by name, right? There's also something sometimes occasionally troubling when somebody calls us by name. I, I remember uh, about nine years ago when I first came uh, to this community and first came to serve at Treach. I, I didn't know anybody, and, and the first two or three or four weeks, in fact, it lasted several months, but I, I would go into the public forum, whether a grocery store or a, a, a movie house or a, a restaurant, and, and people would see me and call me by name, and it was quite troubling. <laughs> I was like, how do you know me? I just moved here. I just started work. How do you know me? And so there are times when it's quite uh, appealing and assuring when people know our names, but it can also be kind of troubling every once in a while, right? Because if people know us by name, they 
They know us. They know of us. And in this case, when Jesus knows the man's name, he has power over him. He has authority to do something about his circumstances. What's your name? And then the man says, my name is Legion. <laughs> anybody know anybody named Legion? I mean, anybody? That is not a normal name, right? And in fact, it means something quite distinctive and unique, right? It's capitalized because it's sort of proper. And, and legion is a Latin word. You probably know it, right? I mean, it's about a military consignment, about a large group of military personnel. It's a legion of people. It's large. It's big. It's bold. We're going to do something. My name is legion. And notice he moves from singular, my name is, to we are many. <laughs> that ain't good news. My name is Legion. And in part what he means is, <laughs> I'm really messed up. I'm Legion. But a part of what he means is, there's, there's a bunch of us. We're everywhere. And you may see some of us, and you may not see any of us, but we are Legion. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that makes my skin crawl just talking about it. Because a part of what he's acknowledging is that there's evil everywhere, in all places. We are many. That's the bad news, friends, that there's evil around us and there's stuff that causes harm around us. And even... We are a part of the evil, even when we may not realize it or intend it. My name is Legion, and we are many. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus has authority over everything and the capacity to change things. Notice what he does. The man begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the region, right? The unclean spirits, them. Don't, don't send them out, he says. Now, there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000. There's legion. There's a grand scape of things, right? There's 2,000 of them stampeded down the steep bank into the sea where they drowned in the sea. And this is the weird part of the story, right? What, what, what have pigs got to do anything? I mean, why do they got to suffer? I mean, why do they have to die? This is the guy who's got the unclean spirits. He's the one who came out of the tombs. He's the one living in the Gentile territory. Why have the pigs got to suffer? Well, you might need to understand, you know, biblical wisdom a little bit to recognize that if we're in an unclean region, in an unclean place of the tombs with a person with an unclean spirit, you might as well send them into an unclean animal, right? Because... To a good Hebrew, a pig is, man, 
I've always recognized I couldn't be a Hebrew because I love bacon too much. But a pig to a good Hebrew is considered unclean, right? And so that's the best place for the unclean spirits to go is to go into the pigs. And then, then the pigs are run off the hill and then the pigs get drowned by the water. And mind you, the pigs have taken on the unclean spirit because they're going to go into the water that Jesus has just called because he has authority over that water, because he has the capacity to calm the storms of our lives. And by golly, some of the storms in our lives are the brokennesses of our lives, right? And Jesus has the capacity to overcome. He has the capacity to bring life and hope and healing. And oh, by the way, this is the same sea that he just calmed, and it's the same water that we would use in baptism to remind us that Jesus can wash away our sins, that Jesus can cleanse us from our brokenness, that Jesus can bring healing to our lives. This is why they go over the hill and down into the water and are drowned, because Jesus has capacity to do that. Now, does that mean Jesus has magic? No. Does that mean Jesus is going to fix everything? No. But it does mean he can and he will when he knows it's right and he can have the capacity to change our lives and bind up our brokenness because he chooses to. And when he chooses to, he can make all things well. And that's the gift that he's bringing to us is that wholeness even to one of those guys, if Jesus can do it for even one of those people, imagine what he can do for those who might want him and might accept him and might love him. What a gift he offers. Notice what happens among the community, and this is where it gets good. Verse 14, the swine herds, meaning the herders, right, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man possessed by demons sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion clothed and in his right mind calls the, the language of Paul when he talks about put on the clothes of righteousness, right? And when we find ourselves in relationship with God, the people were enamored by it. The people were fabergasted by it and because we all, we all love a good show, right? But we also love a good hope-filled ending. We also love that God can do things through these people and through us. We also love that Christ has this capacity. We want to see it. We want to know it. We want to believe it. We want to trust that it's true. So we're glad to see it. And we're glad to witness that God can do amazing things through his child, Jesus. But notice what happens to the people as they witness this man in his right mind and well-tuned to who Christ is. And they, meaning the townspeople, they became frightened. 
Those who had seen what had happened to the man possessed by demons and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Why? Why would they be afraid? Why would they ask Jesus to leave? I, I, I think it's for a similar reason to the fact that the man didn't ask Jesus to heal him. We, we, we often want Jesus to help us. We often want his hope, but we're often confused by what it might mean of us, of the world. We, we sometimes are, are challenged by how it is he calls us into different behavior and different understanding of the world and different understanding of other people, our neighbors, right? But a part of what it's highlighting is we're often afraid because we know we need healing. We know we're broken. We recognize that it's difficult. One of the most obvious ways this takes shape is in the life of an addict and the family who lives with or for the addict, right? Because we want that hope and we want that healing, we want that cleansing and we want that gift, but we're afraid sometimes of what it looks like and what it may become and how it will challenge us in a new form of relationship. They were afraid. Maybe even because they knew Jesus had authority. Maybe because they recognized Jesus could help them too. Several years ago, I mean several years ago in the 80s, Kay and I went to see a movie called Blue Velvet. You ever heard of that movie, Blue Velvet? Very strange, strange movie. If you've seen it, you know. We were so offended by the movie that about halfway through, we literally got up and walked out. We could not handle it. The movie is about sort of the underbelly of society. It's much in tune with other movies of its ilk, like Clockwork Orange. You know that movie? Maybe um, American Beauty a few years later. And any movie directed by Quentin Tarantino. All of these movies have this one thing in common. They all point out that while on the surface things seem well and on the surface everything seems to be in place, there is clearly a kind of an underbelly to society. And we don't like to own it. We don't like to live into it. In fact, it's why we move into suburbia, right? We don't want to deal with that stuff. But it's there and it's real. And we have to own both that it's there and it's sometimes here. And that we too, therefore, need healing. And our hearts bound up by the power and authority of Jesus. So notice, Jesus heals and exercises the demon not only of the man, but he helps the townspeople understand his capacity for more for them. And then ultimately notice what he calls the man, and I believe you and I too, in verses 18 and following. As he was getting into the boat, meaning the, uh, Jesus, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. That would be a normal want, right? But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. You see, Jesus healed that man and he asked one simple thing in response. Go share this good news. Go help other people know what Jesus can do. Tell them what he's done for you. Show them what he can do for them. Help them to understand his power, his ability, his capacity to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal those who are broken. Go share that. So here we have a weird story, don't we? It's a weird story. Demons and pigs. But it's a powerful message of hope that says to all of us, bad news, I'm broken and I need healing. I'm not fully whole and I need to be bound up. And so are some other people. But the good news is Jesus can heal us. Jesus can offer us hope. Jesus can help us see the future is hopeful. And guess what he asks? Go tell somebody that story. Tell them your story. Tell them how Jesus has made a difference in your life. Tell them what he's doing in your life. Help them to know that same good news. And the reason is this. Because of what Christ has done for you and me and the world, we are now his ambassadors. Apostle Paul would write about that when he wrote to the Corinthian church. He says it this way, so if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. See, the richness of your story, whatever it is, whatever your brokenness is, whatever it is that binds you up, whatever it is that causes you not to be fully whole, Jesus is there with you, and he's offering you hope, and he's offering you a way forward, and he's giving you good news. Let's not hold on to that. Let's not keep that to ourselves. Let's give it away. Let's help give other people some hope. Let's help them to know of the powerful good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, you see. That's why this community of faith exists, because we envision a community where people matter. Brokenness is healed, and love is lived. And we do it through the powerful name and through the powerful ministry of Jesus. I know he's done something for you. I know he's done something for me. Let's share that, that the world may know hope. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, for even weird stories like this that help us to know that in the midst of our own brokenness, we can be healed. Help us, Lord, to trust and believe that that's true and then have courage enough to offer it to others. Thank you, God that you've given us hope and life. Now may we be those who are your light bearers in all of the world, that all who may come to know us may come to know you. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of the one Jesus.
whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.